You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Lawrence Coletti, the producer for Legal Talk Network. Welcome to another edition of Special Reports. Today's show is being recorded on location during ABA's Law Practice Division Fall Meeting at the U.S. Grant Hotel in downtown San Diego, California. We're here to cover this event and its highlights for you, our listeners. Joining me now is Ms. Joan Bullock. She is the chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee under the umbrella of the Law Practice Division. Welcome. Thank you, Lawrence. It's good to be here. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you about some of your other roles with the ABA. I see on my list here that there's quite a few more, so I just wanted to ask you about that briefly before we got started. Well, I have been with the ABA Law Practice Division for quite some years, and I was the past chair. I'm a past chair of the Law Practice Division from 2012 to 2013. Okay, I did not know that I'm getting an education here. So, and, and in addition to that, I have, you've got a full career. Um, so, tell me a little bit about what you do and uh, where you do it. Okay, I'm currently the Associate Dean for Teaching and Faculty Development at Florida A&M University College of Law. I'm also inaugural faculty member, which means that I helped to start the school back in 2002. Um, I'm also a Michigan attorney and CPA. I work with uh, law firms and other professionals and helping them to work on their practice management skills. Okay. Okay. That sounds great. So the Diversity Inclusion Committee, uh, tell me a little bit about that group and why it's so important for all of us to have us in the, uh, in the ABA. When I started with the Law Practice Management section at the time, now Law Practice Division, one of the things I did was to become very active with the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, and I became chair some years ago. And it was always an important um, responsibility for me to have with that committee because I thought it was very important that uh, diversity and inclusion be competencies that not only law firms and law departments have, but also within the ABA have diversity and inclusion as major initiatives. So it was very important for me. So I've been uh, with this particular committee for quite some time, so it's great to be back with this committee. And what are some of the projects uh, that, that your committee is working on right now for this year, for 2014 and going into 2015? We're quite aggressive in some of the initiatives that we're undertaking. One of the things we're doing is to ensure that the division itself is intentional as it relates to diversity and inclusion initiatives. As I mentioned before, the the entity as itself is very interested in diversity and inclusion, but it was more anecdotal in terms of how we did things. But one of the things we wanted to do was to help the law practice division draft a diversity and inclusion plan. So okay. that's the first and foremost. Then secondly, we're working with the Law Practice Technology, which is the division's webzine. Uh, they have put in place for the, uh, the June issue is diversity issue, and so we're working with the Law, law, practice, uh, law practice Today, that webzine, in ensuring that they have diversity topics for the June issue. We're also working with the Law Practice Magazine, giving them, it's being a resource to them, as it relates to diversity and inclusion topics. So it sounds like uh, building some awareness uh, within mm-hmm. the different publications. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm really interested in hearing about the, this plan, the diversity inclusion plan. So you're putting that together. I'm assuming that there's a lot of action, uh, actionable items on that and some long-term planning into there. So let, let's learn a little bit more about that. Well, there definitely will be. One of the things we're doing now, we're in a research stage. We're looking at what other entities within the ABA are doing. 
seeing how many of them have diversity and inclusion plans and what's in them, what's working, what's not. We're also reaching outside the ABA, looking at law firms and legal departments, corporate legal departments, seeing what they have in place, what works, what doesn't work. And then also we're talking to and surveying the members of the law practice division as to what they're seeing as working and what's not. And we're going to take all that research, talk to various members within the law, the leadership of the law practice division in the drafting of that uh, plan. Okay. So it's not something that the diversity and inclusion committee will be drafting, but the division itself will be drafting, and we're helping collect all that research and giving them some of the best practices that we're finding both within and outside the ABA to help them in that drafting effort. And um, what are your primary concerns uh, when it comes to uh, uh, diversity inclusion? I mean, uh, what are your big ticket items for you personally being involved in this? What, what are you trying to see changed? I think so many people have heard about diversity and inclusion that they just get tired of hearing about it. Everyone knows that, yes, it's something to do, it's the right thing to do, but aren't we doing okay? And I think that that's what I'm hearing. Uh, you probably heard about the business case for diversity and inclusion. That it's, it's the business case. It makes sense to do that. The problem with the business case, at least the argument goes, is that no one has been able to quantify the tangible benefits of the business case. And so as a result, I would like to spend more time talking about the costs of not uh, nurturing or, or dismissing the business case. What are the costs involved when we are not diverse? What are the costs of not having an inclusive environment? What are we missing? What are the blind spots? Looking at it from that perspective. So that is an initiative that is uh, that I'm very passionate about because I don't think we are able to will ever be able to talk about the benefits and say if you do X, here's why. But I do think there are enough examples out there where people have had missteps, had certain blind spots because they don't have the diverse skill sets, they don't have the diverse perspectives in order to make the right decision. And one of the things I'm seeing is that the clients. Uh, uh, who are people who are the parties who are looking for lawyers. They're much more sophisticated. They're looking for problem solvers. They don't want just legal advice. They see lawyers as problem solvers. And in order to be a, a an effective problem solver, the lawyer has to have all the tools available. And those tools include having a diverse and inclusive culture, uh, a group of people who will be able to provide the information and the resources needed and be much more flexible than in the past. Okay. Um, and just some of what you've been talking about uh, so far um, has to do with the legal profession today. Um, and I have some questions uh, regards to uh, schools. Now, obviously, you can't have lawyers until they go to law school. So uh, what are some of the things you're seeing as far as uh, diversity inclusion in, in our law schools around the country today? Uh, I have to admit I'm an old fogey, and one of the things I'm seeing from a diversity perspective is the perspective of the millennials and the people, the younger people coming in and what they are looking for, their expectations, which are different from my expectation. I'm the tail end of the baby boomers, you know, where there's authority, there's rank and file, and you do things a certain way, you pay your dues, and then you you have an opportunity to excel. Uh, The... Millennials and the people, the students that I'm seeing, they're, they're not so caught up into authority and to having these striations. You have to go through all these various steps in order to move to the next level. They're like, why not? Let's do it. And so it, it's, it's, it's from a teaching perspective, it's requiring me to rethink how I teach. 
based upon the expectations of the students. They're not so tolerant of waiting their turn. Their turn is now. And if they think they can do it, they will try. And they don't want to be held back. Also, uh, with this generation, is now we're into the, the uh, Internet. And they're not reading as much. And whether it's the older people who are coming in now or, or the millennials, people are not reading as they did in the past because of technology. And that's requiring us to teach a lot differently. So that is a different perspective. On one hand, they're used to having information at their fingertips. They want that information right now. So uh, they don't want to take the long and laborious way of uh, approach to getting that information. So how we deliver information is going to be different. How they expect to deliver information back to us is much different. So it's a different perspective. Okay, and, you know, forgive me, I don't have this part of uh, your bio in front of me. How long have you been teaching for? Oh, I've been teaching for quite a long time. I started teaching in 1983. Okay, 1983? Yes. So from 1983 to now, um, as far as uh, law schools are concerned, are you seeing more diversity inclusion in uh, in the classes uh, percentage-wise? Yes, I can. I can say that there is more. It's more of an inclusive environment. People are okay. a lot more tolerant of different perspectives. Uh, they're not surprised by different things. And I think it's not only because the law schools have become much more open or receptive, but as a society, we're becoming much more open and receptive. Going back to the internet, people are exposed to different cultures and different ways of doing things. Just because people are seeing that, they're exposed to it on the internet. Uh, so. Yes, diversity and inclusion uh, is definitely taken hold. But having said that, there is this sense sometimes that people believe that they are tolerant when they actually aren't. When you actually have them drill down into a lot of the arguments, a lot of the uh, the biases are still there. And it's those unconscious biases that now we really need to work on. So, Joan, you have some interesting perspectives on social media and, I guess, this generation's, the millennials' ability to speak their mind. Yes, they definitely speak their mind, and they tend to, from my generation's perspective, overshare. Uh, they tell, they, they talk about what they've eaten, that what they're watching. They talk about how they feel about other people, judges, their their colleagues at work, all those things. Which, to a certain extent, from a baby boomer perspective, that's taboo. You know, you keep certain things to yourself. There's a certain decorum as to how you go about uh, uh, in in an in in office environment. You don't just share or say everything that's in your mind. Um, But that is something that I think the millennials especially have to work on because oftentimes we we, we see many examples where lawyers and new lawyers are in court, but they don't speak to the judge appropriately. They don't respect the position. They don't appreciate or uh, respect the position of opposing counsel. So those are things we need to work on. We're in law school. We're now having to teach manners. And uh, it's not a matter of these individuals not having home training. I believe they do have home training, but they feel that they, are, they have permission to speak any way they want because in their mind it's the truth. And sometimes the truth doesn't necessarily set you free. It could <laughs> cause problems. It could cause disciplinary issues. And that's something that um, I think they, they don't fully appreciate. And with the Internet, with so much anonymity going on where you can speak your mind and not have to worry about repercussions, it doesn't translate in the legal profession where they can continue to speak their mind or even write what they want. They have to be very circumspect. 
Well, Joan, um, I, actually, this is uh, from the perspective of the ABA um, Law Practice Division. Obviously, the, uh, the Diversity Inclusion Committee is one that we need to have around for, for many more years, uh, certainly. Uh, it sounds like it's uh, kind of evolving into um, a script of how to act and how to get along with each other in the practice of law. Um, can you share with me some of your favorite reasons to be involved and part of the Diversity Inclusion Committee? Yes, well, one of the things I would like to say is that diversity and inclusion, those are competencies, competencies for law practice management. It's not about trying to impose a perspective or a belief on anyone. It's about being able to provide the best service to a client. And in order to do that, one has to be open to all the needs of that particular client. There shouldn't be any blind spots. The person needs to be flexible and agile and appreciative that there are more than one way more than one way of looking at a particular problem. You hear in corporate America outside of the legal world where they talk about the need to be agile, the need to be innovative, the need to be creative. And lawyers tend to not be viewed as creative or innovative. And we need to shed that that stereotype. We can be creative and as a matter of fact, our clients are expecting us to be creative and innovative. And if we want to stay in step with our clients and our clients' expectations, then we need to make sure that we have everything in our tool bed, our arsenal, uh, in order to provide that expert service to them. And we can only do that by being diverse and inclusive. I think that sounds like wonderful advice. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our time together today. I want to thank uh, Ms. Joan Bullock for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Lawrence. It's great to, to speak with you. If our listeners wanted to uh, get a hold of you, if you have some questions and want to get in contact with you, what's the best way? The best way is to contact me through my website, thereformedlawprof.com. That's a whole nother conversation because I'm a law professor, but I'm reformed in the way I teach law. I teach law based upon the practical realities rather than the old traditional way. So thereformedlawprof.com. So Joan at reformlawprof.com, and they can reach me by phone at 888-466-8255. Wonderful. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.